Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Stay-at-home orders and concerns about contracting COVID-19 led to the rapid closure of many health facilities in the early stages of the pandemic. Telemedicine quickly became the dominant mechanism for obtaining care for everything other than emergencies and medical procedures. Now, adoption of telemedicine was rapid among providers, many of whom were unaccustomed to this form of care. And patients adapted quickly and by most accounts were quite satisfied with this new modality. Telemedicine also helped overcome some long-standing access barriers such as long travel times in both urban and rural settings. But is telemedicine here to stay or will it fade away as doctors and patients reacclimate to in-person visits? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Podacy. I'm here with Jillian Steelfisher, a principal research scientist at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and director of global polling in the Harvard Opinion Research Program. Dr. Steelfisher and co-authors published a paper in the April 2023 issue of Health Affairs assessing the attitudes of primary care physicians and patients toward telemedicine during the COVID-19 pandemic. They found that while most patients and physicians were satisfied with their experiences, many physicians had concerns about the visits, and two-thirds of patients hoped to return to in-person visits. We'll discuss these findings and more in today's episode. Dr. Steelfisher, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. This is a really interesting paper and an important topic. And before we get into the findings, maybe you could set the stage for our listeners. Why is it worth asking the question, what did patients and physicians think about their experiences with telemedicine and whether they want to continue uh, seeing each other in that uh, way? That is a great question and the one that's been on my mind. Um, You know, I think as we were just discussing in your introduction or just listening to that, you know, Telemedicine was intensely enabled during COVID in in an effort, of course, to make sure that people could access medical care without risking transmission. And so there were so many policies put into place, right? There were things that um, people wanted to sort of undo the factors that they thought were constraining telemedicine's growth for a long time, right? We We had policies that facilitated reimbursement, policies that allowed providers to use popular and familiar platforms, policies that allowed providers to access or to provide care across state lines. And these were all the things that people thought was like holding telemedicine back, right? And so telemedicine boomed as predicted. Um, And then the policies did not change, but telemedicine declined. You know, just a few months after the peak of COVID, the number of telemedicine visits was down by over a half. I mean, this was, was just a precipitous drop. And so if we think that telemedicine for primary care is this sort of piece of the puzzle. It's a critical tool in the future of medical care. We've been talking about that for a long time. But the things that we thought were holding it back are not exactly the factors that are keeping it back. I mean, this opens up some questions. So what is it? What is really going on? And we want to understand the telemedicine experience from both halves of the equation, from the physician side and the patient side. So I really appreciate that introduction. And I know as we go further in our conversation, we are going to talk about the policy environment. There is a lot of attention being placed on retaining some of the rules that enabled the growth of telemedicine. And what you're saying is that's a factor, but it's only one. So let's talk about the factor that you focused on in your paper and as that you just alluded to, which is 
whether it's allowed or not, people have to want to use it. In your paper, you ask primary care physicians and patients about their experiences with telemedicine. Uh, what did they think? Were they generally satisfied? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the first step in the exploration, right? Just to understand, like, well, did it stop because people just hated it, right? I mean, did they think it went terribly? And, you know, I think in, in the simple terms, the short answer is no, actually. People didn't hate it. Um, nearly all physicians, 90%, said that their video visits during the pandemic went well. And patient views were pretty well aligned with that. About 92% said their last visit went well. Um, and what's even more important, I think, is that majorities of both of these groups felt that telemedicine visits were an important resource for accessing healthcare during the pandemic. I mean, they got the value. You know, physicians said this is really important to reach my patients, and patients said, Without this, I might have delayed care or even not seen a doctor at all. So they're kind of getting it in the context of COVID, um, but there's clearly something more that's going on as the experience went on for longer. Well, you know, and that's consistent with uh, my own experience. And it also is sort of consistent with what I think about at the workplace, which is, you know, we couldn't go to the office, so we had to use all these new platforms. And, you know, we figured out how to get the work done. And we were generally satisfied, if you will, once we got over the hurdles. But then the question is, is it as good as? And that's for a long time been a question about telemedicine. Is it as good as an in-person visit? I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what each group, both the physicians and the patients, said about the quality of the visit, and particularly the dimensions of quality that were important to them in deciding whether or not telemedicine was as good as an in-person. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right where our minds went. We thought, well, okay, satisfaction. People have talked about that a lot, but what about the under the underpinnings of this, right? What about the quality of the care? And their results were definitely more mixed. Um, in fact, physicians, you know, I know they said it went well, but they actually had a somewhat negative perception of the quality of video visits. You know, more than half said that the quality um, by video, even in the pandemic, wasn't what it could be of seeing a patient in person in the pandemic. Um, and they had particularly lower assessments for types of care that I, I guess I would call them sort of bread and butter of primary care. I'm not a primary care physician, but to the lay person, they, they feel like the primary care, you know, the, the bread and butter, um, you know, two thirds said it was worse for the quality was worse for routine or preventive care, um, for managing chronic conditions, like things that you want it to be good for. Um, but it, you know, it didn't get high ratings from physicians on the quality side, um, there were some spots where folks were more receptive in terms of quality. You know, PCPs thought that video visits provided the same or better quality for mental health provision, for triage of folks who might have COVID, you know, those with COVID symptoms. But, you know, overall, they were not, they didn't have great ratings on the quality in terms of what it could, what it could be, you know, even in a pandemic context. Um, patients are more positive than physicians are, but but still, even among patients, about a third said that the quality in their video visit was worse than what it could be in person. And, you know, I think that's I think that's meaningful and it's worth exploring, you know, well, why and what were the features of it? And so we kind of dug in there as well. Yeah. Say a little bit more about uh, that side of the equation. Yeah. I mean, I think when we asked directly, OK, we said to people, OK, you just told us that the quality wasn't as good. Why? Just straight up asking. It was interesting, the biggest reason that both groups felt that the care was lower quality was the lack of a physical exam. You know, this was 90% in both groups. And the other concerns were sort of similar, like physicians wanted to be able to get information about vital signs and patients were nervous about providing that kind of information accurately. 
you know, they were sort of talking about the same general thing, which is that there needs to be this like hands-on dimension of care in order for it to be high quality. Um, and, you know, I think the evidence around the clinical importance of physical exams is not as quite as clear as all that, but this is the critical perception, like what you were saying earlier, you know, in order to use it, people have to believe in it. And so people are feeling like they're giving and getting less quality care because they can't get that information. And I think the future of telemedicine is going to have to grapple with that for sure. Um, we also, you know, explored other things like, you know, did they feel it was like about the, um, you know, rapport? Was rapport the same? Because um, uh, in theory, right, the screen puts distance between us and we don't want to feel that. But, you know, it was interesting. Like, again, physicians were a little more negative than than patients and almost half said that the rapport was was worse. But only 20 percent of patients did. You know, and maybe patients are sort of just seeing online. They, they were doing online for so many things, right? <laughs> Healthcare was one in a many series of of things they were trying to accomplish during the pandemic, where they had to go online. They had to, you know, view the world through through the Zoom window. Um, we also thought maybe it was like about getting squeezed for time. Um, and actually, we didn't see much sort of negative review from either physicians or patients on that front. So it wasn't about these other features. Um, you know, and of course, we asked about like the technology side, right? So how was the, you know, video and audio quality? And was that interfering? Because it would make sense that it was, right? And it's true, there was some technological issues that came up with the visits, again, more so for physicians, um, in part, because they've got so many visits, right? It's, it's in part the way physicians assess it, it's their clinical expertise, and it's their work, right? It's, it's important to them in this specific way. And they have so much more experience with it. They, you know, I think their ratings overall are more negative than patients for whom this wasn't like the whole of their lives during the pandemic, right? This was one feature of, of a lot of things. Um, but, you know, there were frequent technological issues that came up in the visits, again, for physicians. And, you know, there was connectivity problems and software and, you know, they had to hang up and there were, there were problems. So all of those things kind of existed. And I think those... You know, you'd think, well, those are all important features of the experience and we want to understand them and possibly address them if we want to make telemedicine more useful um, for folks. So one of the things I'm struck by as you provide this answer is that if you look at the evolution of quality metrics in healthcare in general, there are lots of technical measures. Are people getting the preventive care they need? Are they, uh, is their blood glucose controlled? Um, but there are all of these other elements of what one may think of as sort of the soft skill side, which is how people feel about their interactions with the healthcare system, whether they're listened to, whether they get clear instruction, whether they feel uh, a rapport with their clinician. And uh, in essence, your survey results mirror the complexity of the quality enterprise in healthcare, which is that uh, physicians particularly are trained primarily on these, you know, uh, disease uh, treatment and management and diagnosis skills that, that are a form of technical quality. Uh, but when you ask the patients, they say, they're interested in a whole host of factors that aren't just about uh, the technical quality of the interaction. And that complexity comes through in your survey results, that there is not one measure of quality. Uh, there are many different measures of quality. And from a physician side, they may be concerned about whether they have the information they need uh, because they can't put their hands on the patient to 
improve the diagnosis. But but factors like making a connection and being listened to, uh, those you can have different perceptions whether you're in person or or uh, electronic. Uh, those vary across uh, settings and clinicians and patients in ways that aren't just tied to the technology. I feel it seems to me that that comes through. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, we were really trying to use this survey as a way to expand the kind of considerations that you're talking about, because there's so many surveys out there that sort of stop at satisfaction, right? And, and really what we're trying to say is there's more to that, right? If you ask them if they're satisfied, they're gonna, they might just say like, yeah, it's enough, like it's okay. But if we really want to use this as a, we want to develop this as a tool for enhancing people's care, enhancing their quality of life, enhancing their health, right? We're going to have to go beyond that. And I think we took inspiration from the folks who are really looking at this in this multidimensional way and tried to, to put that into the online context and try to assess all of these different features and what that would look like in the context of a Zoom meeting, right? How do we think about those in that context? And so... I think exactly, exactly as you say, there's a there's a a nuance in the fabric of that experience that we need to be paying attention to as we're thinking about moving telemedicine into a future where it's a meaningful part of care. Well, I want to talk to you more about uh, what we do with this sense of satisfaction, but maybe not uh, excellence, um, in terms of setting the right policy context for telemedicine medicine into the future. Uh, We'll have a chance to discuss those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Jillian Steelfisher about physicians and patients' attitudes and experiences with telemedicine during the COVID-19 pandemic. Before the break, we spent a lot of time talking about satisfaction, and maybe that is sort of exactly the right word. You're satisfied, but that doesn't mean you're bowled over. Uh, What's striking to me in the findings is that you move from really very high levels of satisfaction to another question, which is, do you want to continue using telemedicine into the future? And the answers there are quite different. What can you tell us about what people said about their preferences for using telemedicine into the future, and particularly, again, how those differ by physician and patient uh, characteristics? So this, I think, is the central contrast, as you point out, right? It's like, oh, yeah, this all, this is okay. Like telemedicine video visits, they're okay. That's They, they did their job. We appreciate them. But I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. I don't want to go. I don't want to stay there, right? And what's interesting is that most physicians and most patients wanted to transition back to all or almost all in-person visits, you know, and it's not just the survey, right? Our survey is completely consistent with what we're seeing in the clinical context, that people are in fact going back to in-person visits. So they were telling us the truth in the survey. They're like, yeah, good enough, but this isn't what I want. Um, And we need to sort of, you know, see that and respect it and say like, okay, well, What's going on here? And I think we got some insights from asking people about the features of the experience, but we also wanted to see how those features then predicted their willingness to go back, right? What's the relationship? And to be honest, right, you know, and maybe the bias of being in health policy research, but, you know, I thought it'd be all about quality, right? It'd be like physicians who were like, oh, if it wasn't good quality, I don't want to do it. Um, and I think what we were just talking about before the break is 
there's a complexity here that is really interesting and needs to be paid attention to. This is not just about quality, as it turns out. In fact, you know, quality of care during a visio visit was not particularly related to preference to return to in-person visits for physicians. That is like those who felt that the quality of care was worse by video, they were no more likely than those who felt the quality was the same to say they wanted to return in person, right? So it wasn't like, oh, I'm just dissatisfied with what I can do for patients, you know? Uh, in fact, the only thing that was related of all those different features we looked at, right? We talked about this, all this fabric of the meeting and what happened and whatever, but the only thing that was really predictive was experiencing frequent technological challenges. It's like if your internet just doesn't work, you just, you want to go back in person more, more likely, which totally makes sense, but it's not very revealing, right? And from a policy perspective, like, okay, well, we need to have better internet. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. But I think what it really means, right, is something more profound, right, is that there may just be a more fundamental limitation in the appeal of telemedicine for primary care physicians as a mode of practice, right? You know, and it's not, it's not, you know, when you think about it, right, we think about it from a policy perspective, so technical, but there's a human dimension here as well, just like, you know, is this why people went to medical school? Is this what they hoped for in their practice? Um, you know, are there tangible experiences of their working with patients that are motivating them, that are driving them? You know, sitting, you know, we talked about Zoom fatigue a lot in the context of the pandemic. And maybe this just needs to be thought of more broadly in the context of the way physicians are practicing. Um, and, you know, and that's really important. So I think that's been something that has been underappreciated and something we really need to give better consideration to on the, on the physician side, for sure. What can you say on the patient side? Interestingly, the, the patients were a little bit reversed in the sense that they were a little closer to what I was predicting, which is maybe I'm a patient and that's why. But I don't think so. I think, you know, there was a little bit stronger preference to return to in-person care when they felt the quality was worse, right? And it may be that their perception of what the quality is worse is a more composite measure or whatnot, but it was a little more what I expected. Um, and their technological challenges weren't that much of a predictor. So. Again, maybe patients are like, well, I got technological challenges with everything, like meeting with my kid's teacher and meeting with my doctor and, you know, trying to, you know, uh, go to work and do whatever else they're doing. They're doing a lot of things over an online platform. And so it just it wasn't a big driver. It was sort of, it didn't relate specifically to their healthcare experience. Um, so this was more about what they thought of the quality of care, which, again, I think turns a little bit of the, of the um, you know, common thoughts about how patients perceive quality. So I, I think that's important to pay attention to as well. They are paying attention to quality and what they feel like they're really getting out of these visits and their care. Um, and I think we also, you know, extended some thinking about the kinds of patients that might be benefiting more from online care. You know, this was a survey we're asking all the people who had had an online visit, right? So everyone is technically online. But even then, we found that older respondents, those with less education, and those who are Asian, were less likely to want to continue using video visits. And that makes me worry that there's other dimensions of the, you know, technological divide that we've been talking about for so long. It's not just access, right? It extends the online environment in ways that maybe we haven't appreciated. Um, and, you know, in other words, I guess if you're getting on with your doctor, you might still not be on par, right? And so we need to really be mindful of that as well as we think about going forward. So when we started, uh, you mentioned the dramatic policy shift, clearing out the barriers to using telemedicine. Uh, we are at an 
point of t- in time where uh, there are questions about whether those policies will be retained. And I think the premise of them has been, well, we need this modality to be available. Uh, when you think about the policy context, though, it does feel more complicated than that. Maybe we need it to be available, but we probably, if we listen to patients and primary care physicians, we probably don't need it to be dominant. Um, so what do you think about the kind of policy environment that would be most supportive uh, for the use of telemedicine, uh, given the preferences of those who are using it? Yeah, I, I think we need to think about a policy that supports an online environment from two perspectives. So one is that there are some doctors who want to practice primarily virtually or with a lot of, uh, you know, um, um, online and video-based care. And there are patients who want to or need to and would benefit from having access um, via video and might have trouble accessing in person. So there's, there's that portion of it. And then also from a public health perspective, you know, we would benefit from having a future health system that has at least a sort of meaningful minority of care delivered virtually so that we can, you know, kind of call up more virtual care when needed, right? Starting from nothing is really hard. Starting from small is much, much easier. And so allowing healthcare practices to expand when needed, that sort of, you know, um, uh, that possibility of like just add water. We, we need that in a, in a in a pandemic kind of response, and and we want to facilitate that when we think about policies. And so I think we need to think about identifying areas where virtual visits are most helpful and support those. And you know some of that is self-selected. There are be driven by physicians who like the modality and patients who want to need it. Um, but um, we might also think about support for types of care where, for example, the physical exam is not totally central. Right. So think about, okay, well, what kind of visits work well in the online environment, building on those. And I think there are some policy areas to focus on. Um, I think we think about places where physical exam is not critical, but don't lose it entirely. And so there's a sort of meshing of, well, do we also need support for technologies that can enhance that virtual exam? Automated blood pressure cuffs, oxygen monitors, you know, all of those tools, um, you know, remote electrocardiograms whatever can improve the actual kind of data exchange between the patient and physicians in a way that's useful for the physician and not stressful for the patient. Um, And so we might need policies to help develop those, to help pay for them. That might be a piece we kind of build around um, and expand. Um, We also, of course, need to address the technological and connectivity challenges, better platforms, better training, more integration into current technology that, you know, people are already familiar with and becoming more familiar with. And I think one important thing that we need to consider is I think there's been a lot of discussion again about getting everyone online, but as we now are moving some people further online, we don't want to exacerbate that digital divide. It's it's a it's it's a crack in the new system, right? It's a divide before, and then once you get online, it's still a crack and it can split wider open. And so we need to think about improving online access and support in underrepresented communities, but also training and support for patients who maybe feel less comfortable with technology, don't have the same access. And medical practices are going to need help. There was a huge amount um, that staff needed to do. There are resources that need to bring those patients on in a meaningful way. Um, And we also need to be honest about the risk of potential age-based or race-based and ethnicity-based discrimination within video care visits and take that um, to heart and really 
think about what that might look like and, and understand it specifically in the online context. Um, so it's actually, I think, a pretty full agenda if we're trying to think about an effective hybrid healthcare system of the future. It's a lot to do. Well, there is a lot to do. Dr. Steele Fisher, thank you so much for uh, shining a light on this topic and particularly helping us understand that uh, satisfaction doesn't necessarily translate or equate to uh, preference. And the nuance here is uh, very useful. I appreciate the work you've done in the area. Uh, thank you today for being my guest on A Health Policy. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a health policy.